Hello, and welcome to the Anti-Racism Daily Podcast. My name is Nicole Cardoza, and this podcast focuses on tangible ways that we can dismantle white supremacy and create a more equitable future for us all. The movement towards abolition will take all of us. It'll take not just shifting our relationship with policing, but shifting our attitudes and behaviors around policing, our notions of what it means to be safe and who we can trust in our community for our collective well-being. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Alicia Harger from the Cops Off-Campus Coalition and was inspired by how their work to address policing on campuses also analyzes the relationship that we have with cops in our hearts and minds. Take a listen. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here today for the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and share a little bit more about why you're here? Absolutely. My name is Alicia Harger. I'm a sophomore at UC Berkeley, and I'm here as a representative for UC Berkeley Cops Off Campus, but also for our transnational Cops Off Campus Coalition. Mm, incredible. And I know you just got out of class, so thank you. It's finals week. I know that you're going through it. <laughs> but you all have a pretty big day of action coming up on May 3rd, um, and I'd love to hear a bit more about it. So May 3rd, we are having a national transnational day of refusal. So we are encouraging people to withhold their labor in whatever form that may take, whether that's paid labor that's getting paid by the university, whether that's academic labor of turning in assignments and going to class, whether that's the labor of graduate student instructors who are grading assignments. We're saying that for one day in this month, everybody withholds their labor in solidarity with activists and organizers who are trying to get cops off campus. And this is clearly connected to May Day, May 1st. It's just the first school day after May Day. Got it. Can you explain May Day for people that might not be familiar? It's a day of solidarity between workers that often takes the form of labor refusals and strikes. Um, In the Bay Area, there are always a lot of protests. And I know that across the country, it's often used as a day to bring solidarity across many issues, labor issues, human rights issues, the issues of political prisoners, racial justice, environmental justice, all coming together under the mantle of the first and using the power of labor withholding to push for these issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't think many people realize like how much um, refusing labor, you know, or withholding labor has been behind many of the political movements of our time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And By withholding our labor, we are showing that we hold these universities up. It is our labor that maintains these universities. It is our work. It is our sweat. It is our blood. And they cannot function without us. They do not exist without the underpaid and exploited labor of graduate students, without the underpaid and exploited labor of other people on our campuses cleaning up after us and feeding us. And so as we show that we can withhold this labor, it makes very clear that these universities balance and live entirely off of us. They do not exist without us. Let's talk a little bit more about getting cops off campus. That's something that we have discussed at length here at the Anti-Racism Daily. It's certainly a small and substantial step towards abolition. Can you share a little bit more about how that's affecting your school? Absolutely. So I'm a UC student. I go to UC Berkeley. And the UCs have our own police department. It is a statewide police department with statewide jurisdiction. There's very few departments with statewide jurisdiction, except for like the California Highway Patrol. 
And on UC Berkeley campus, there has been huge amounts of police brutality across decades, starting with the civil rights movement and the fight to liberate People's Park in Berkeley, which was met with extreme amounts of police violence, snipers on roofs, and ended in the blinding of a protester and the murder of another. We have seen this pattern of violence continue. And our institutions of higher education function as a carceral branch of the state when our campuses are infested with police officers who brutalize and victimize marginalized students and marginalized community members. Yeah, and contributes to creating this system or uh, reinforcing the notion that safety is correlated with law enforcement, right? Like literally placing that in an in, in a educational academic setting is, is an attempt to kind of facilitate the, the learning and understanding of that correlation, which we know is false for so many marginalized communities. Absolutely. And there's a 2019 survey of UC Berkeley students that showed the majority of Black and trans students do not trust our police, our campus police department. And that's not a surprise, but it really goes to show how when we define safety on our campuses, we're defining safety based on the safety and comfort of privileged students, namely white students. And so when we define safety, we completely ignore what safety looks like for marginalized people. And we define safety simply by what makes white people feel safe. And so when we say get cops off campus, we mean reimagining safety to be inclusive of everyone and to create a space that's genuinely safe for even the most marginalized and victimized people on our campus. Yeah. Have there been, you know, alternative forms of, of safety, of, of uh, community that you've seen resonate on campus? UC Berkeley has a program called Bear Walk which is supposed to kind of function as a community safety alternative where you can be kind of escorted through campus if you feel unsafe. Unfortunately, our program is directly connected to our campus police department and our campus safety officers who are non-sworn students are also directly connected to our police department. So the models of safety that I have seen on campus that have been successful are completely disconnected from our administration, completely disconnected from the institution of the school. The the slogan, the saying, we keep us safe, really resonates because I've never felt like my institution of learning that I'm dedicating so much of my life to has done anything to protect me. I have felt completely unprotected by my school and have always relied on my peers and my community to make me feel safe on campus. Yeah, it's such a shame, right? Like how much these institutions can take from us and uh, you know, contrasting it with this, at least I was raised, I'm 31, I was raised with this idea that you go to, to school, right, you get your degree as the way to enter the world and as a way to create more safety for, you know, for yourself, for myself as a Black woman. So it's really disheartening, you know, as we continue to to hear these stories of what's happening on campuses across the country, to know that our system has really encouraged so many people to place themselves in positions of harm. I'd like to hear a bit more about how y'all organized this coalition, because over the past few, I reached out to y'all a few weeks ago, I've been following y'all since. I mean, just the depth of resources that all of you have created for people to get involved is it's stunning. I mean, really just an incredible job. Tell me a little bit more about how all of this came together. Yeah, so initially... Our transnational coalition was actually two different groups, one of which was primarily students and one of which was primarily faculty. 
And at some point along the road, I couldn't tell you when, we decided to merge groups. Um, and that is when we all came together under the charge of creating Abolition May. And the coalition has grown very organically through like pre-existing personal connections, as well as through some cold calls based on like social media and other presences. Yeah, I think that it's been it's been a very organic growth and it's grown in a way that is both incredibly rapid, like very surprisingly and impressively rapid, but also very sustainable because of the fact that it's based on these existing social networks primarily. Yeah, that's true. And do students and faculty, are they across the country? I mean, there's, it's transnational, so you must have representatives. Like, what do those conference calls even look like? Like, how, how does everybody organize? Yeah, we definitely have giant Zoom calls. And every campus has its own needs. And that's something that this coalition is very aware of. So we're not trying to conscript some larger plan onto each individual campus Rather, each campus has come together knowing that getting cops off campus is a common goal, but that the specificities of necessary action and the life-affirming institutions that we want to see created on our campuses are going to vary wildly. And so we come together under this one common goal, but always recognizing that we have separate contexts, different situations, and different needs. I also love that there's a variety of direct actions. So, you know, we have May 3rd, right, which is, you know, the withholding of labor, the transnational day of refusal. Then you have a whole month of direct actions that you encourage um, members to take throughout until May 25th. Can you talk a little bit more about those direct actions? Like where was some of the inspiration of putting them together? When we first created Abolition May, we actually were going to call it Rolling May because the idea is that the actions are just rolling through our country and the abolitionist thought and fervor is rolling through our country. And we have taken inspiration for actions from past organizers. I think there's obviously an incredibly long history of organizing against police on most college campuses. And so we really don't have to rebuild the wheel, which is fantastic. Some universities, they're doing, you know, direct actions, really centering police, police departments. Some are doing direct actions that are more so out in the community Every campus gets to decide on their level of risk and what their community feels comfortable with risking in terms of arrestability and potential threats of police violence. And so we've all been able to tailor our direct actions to what we think our community wants and needs. Mm, Yeah. I wanted to touch on risk because I love that that's called out specifically on the website. How do you see risk coming into play with this? Because I was thinking about two things. One, the the relationship of power between faculty and students. And then two, the fact that May 3rd and most, or the first week of May, most of May is like finals week, right? It might be, it could be likely, right, that um, withholding labor could be taking a finals test, right? Or studying for that test. And so can you talk a little bit more about how risk comes into play on college campuses? We know that no social movement has ever found success without risk. And so that is something that we are very aware of, and it's something that we take into account. That being said, we also know that individual people, based on their positionality and based on their personal leanings, may or may not be willing to take different amounts of risk. And for people who don't know, when we talk about risk in organizing, we're talking about the risk of police violence. We're talking about the risk of institutional kickback. 
uh, for those of us in university, there's always fear of being blacklisted. There's fear of our grades being dropped. There's fear of academic consequences. There's fear of not being able to get into graduate school. There's fear of our grades slipping. There's fear of academic retribution. So those are all kind of the academic consequences we can face, not to mention the threat of very real corporeal police violence, um, threats to our very livelihood, our bodies. And so anytime you do, you create an action that is runs counter to hegemonic beliefs and hegemonic wants, you are putting yourself at risk. And we want to do what we can to protect our most vulnerable community members while also stepping out and putting ourselves out there. Because as I said, no victory is ever won without taking on risk. Absolutely. How can, or maybe is there a way that like parents, family members of students that are in college support? Absolutely there is. I think that we all know college students. Um, most of us know more than one college student. Spreading this information is incredibly helpful. Additionally, if you live in a town with a college, you are welcome at our actions. You don't just have to be a university student. We want to draw in community members because campus policing affects everyone in a campus community. It does not just affect students. I believe at UC Berkeley, Black and Latinx drivers are three times more likely to be stopped by UCPD than white people. And you do not have to be a student in order to get stopped by UCPD. So these are issues that affect our entire community. And we really strongly encourage communities in college towns and communities across the country to get involved, especially because when we say cops off campus, we don't just mean to limit it to institutions of higher education. We mean we want cops off of high school campuses. We want cops off of elementary school campuses. We want cops off of diversion schools for youth who are considered to be wayward. We want cops out of our hearts and cops out of our minds. So this is not just a fight for college campuses. This is a full-on abolitionist fight that just so happens to start in our institutions of higher learning. Our goal is to see cops off of this earth, and that's why that's our social media handle, Cops Off Earth, because this abolition does not stop at our campuses. And we know that abolition is the only thing that can keep us safe. Everything else, every other reform is just kicking the can down the road and continuing to endanger Black, Brown, Indigenous, disabled, and queer people. Abolition is the only path to our safety, and we know that to be true. And that is our goal. We do not want to see anyone having to interact with cops anymore. And we do hold privilege as university students I think that university students tend to be a kind of privileged class within college towns. And so we are seizing upon that. We also have the privilege of just access to higher education. I know that I've gained so much language and understanding of my own predicament and of the world around me and of anti-Blackness and systems of oppression through my college education. And so I think that it's only right that I would give back to high school and elementary school students who have not been able to experience that privilege yet. Can you talk to me a little bit about, um, I think people have this understanding that police officers and law enforcement on college campuses are like the nicer, kinder versions of, of cops and that they're not as aggressive or not as likely to cause harm. Um, is that something you've heard before? Absolutely. It's a misconception that we commonly push up against in our abolitionist organizing. So I often hear and throughout the UCs, we hear if we abolish campus police, 
the only thing you'll have left is your local police department. And aren't they so much worse? To which I say, first of all, we don't want that local police department either. We're not done until that local police department is gone. So we might start with our campus police, but we're not stopping until they're all gone. So that's just part of the plan. But to the idea that campus police are in some way less violent or less harmful than the police in our communities, I would say that campus police are police. Police are police are police. There is no police department in this country that is not rotten and that is not built on the backs and bodies and bones of Black people. There is no policing in this country that is just. There is no policing in this country that is not actively racist. And many campus police departments do horizontal hires from local police departments. And UC Berkeley PD has on many, many occasions hired police officers who are fired from local departments for misconduct. So UCPD hired a man who worked in Vallejo, which is a nearby city, who shot shot someone with a taser and inflicted permanent injuries, got off on qualified immunity, and then murdered a man through asphyxiation, got off on qualified immunity, got hired by UC Berkeley, and in 2018 made over six figures. So these campus police departments are just like all the rest of the police departments in this country. They shelter murderers and people who do harm. They commit violence against students. They profile people. Berkeley uses predictive policing technology called PredPol. All of the terrifying technologies and practices that we see in local police departments are present in campus police departments. You know what else I always think is how much... uh, policing generally, um, but particularly on on campuses, prevents the work to reimagine safety, right? Like it just gets in the way. And I'm sure that's something that you've probably seen at your campus too. Absolutely. And one of the major problems we have in education is we're always hitting up against the budget. The university is always hitting up against the budget. We don't have the budget to give raises to graduate students. We don't have the budget to seismically retrofit buildings. Sorry, if there's an earthquake, just hope you're not in the wrong building. We always have budget issues. And yet the police are always able to get the budget that they need. And the police stand directly in the way of reimagining any kind of safety on our campuses because their budgets eat away at anything we could use to keep us safe just in a very practical and immediate way without the money that is currently being sucked up by our police departments. We cannot reimagine safety on our campuses and we can't keep ourselves safe because the money's all tied up in guns and ammunition and militarized gear. And as you go into the next few days, how are you taking care of yourself? I can imagine, I mean, you just got out of class. Now you're talking to me. You've probably got a bunch of other stuff coming up this afternoon. How are you taking care of yourself through this all? I think that that is one of the greatest challenges for me and many other activists I know, particularly activists on college campuses and student activists in general. I think that I find. (laughs) I find that rooting myself in the lineage of activism that I am trying to maintain is very important and grounding myself in my ancestors and the work of people before me, particularly the lineage of Black queer feminist thought, allows me to see myself 
not as an individual floating or working ceaselessly and tirelessly against this huge system alone or even in concert with others on my campus. It allows me to fit myself into a broader picture in this country and in this world and see my place. And that motivates me to keep working because it also roots me in the oppression and needs of people who are less privileged than myself. And it reminds me to center the voices of the most marginalized and to seize upon all of the opportunities and privilege that I have been afforded in this world to make lives better for people who are not afforded mm-hmm. these privileges. Mm-hmm. Does, does that involve sleep at any point in time? <laughs> occasionally, occasionally it involves sleep, yes. On a good day, it definitely involves okay, sleep. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and no, you know, I mean, like, know that, like, as you're going through this and as all of you, like, I can't, I can, I know for as many people as y'all will be in conversation with, there'll be thousands of other people that are going to be so inspired and spurred into action. And I particularly, I want to, you know, I already know I already said this, but I am just so incredibly inspired by the action items that you created for people to get involved, because I can imagine it feels for a lot of college students, like when I was in college, I had no idea where to start to even address some of these, you know, the issues that were affecting me. I went to school in New York City, there was cops on campus and off campus all the time, and they had the same uniform. So it didn't feel like, you know, that was something I could even speak to because I know we know that they're all part policing is policing and they're all the same but at my campus they were all the same it's like I don't know how to go up against NYPD I just moved to the city just wanted to reiterate that um that you're not alone in that so many people will be able to join this because of y'all thank you the strength and numbers that we've already found amongst each other is incredible. The fact that we've been able to connect with institutions across the entire country is incredible. And we are pushing back against billion dollar institutions, institutions with endowment and wealth that I can't even conceptualize. So everybody who's listening to this, I highly encourage you to get involved because there's no such thing as too many people on the ground right now. There's no such thing as too much involvement. We need all the help hands and hearts that we can get as we fight against these institutions. Something else that I found that was really accessible was honoring the picket line. Can you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, honoring the picket line, it's kind of in the name, but the idea is just that you respect the day of refusal. You do not cross the picket line. You do not willingly give labor to the institution on a day when we are trying to collectively organize to withhold labor. You stand with us as we You know, some people are calling it a strike. Some people are calling it a day of refusal. Some people are calling it a labor withdrawal, depending on whether you're in a union with a no strike clause or whether, you you know, just the language that works for you. But regardless of what language or nomenclature you choose, the idea is that you do not stand against us. You stand with us and you make the active choice to withhold labor and to stand with cops off campus on May 3rd. And I love that because there's ways that people can take action You know, a lot of times in organizing, picket lines are denoted to be a physical space, which can often be inaccessible for people who can't leave their homes, who can't be physically out on the streets. And so what I love about honoring the picket line is that's something that you can do through virtual lectures, you know, not attending online classes. If you're faculty, not creating or preparing resources for those classes, I really respect. And then, of course, there's incredible ways for people to get involved through social media. Yes, you can always follow us on social media, and soon we should have a public-facing calendar of the various events across campuses across the country. And if you're interested, you'll just be able to really quickly find the actions near you. 
I highly encourage people to seek out education on their own terms. In this country, we often cloister information and learning into these highly inaccessible and deeply racist institutions, but it does not have to be that way. And at Cops Off Campus, UCFTP, which is a coalition across the state of California, just within the UCs, we've created a lot of political education that you can access through our social media for free. And I really, really encourage people to take advantage of that because there's absolutely no reason that all this information should be held in an ivory tower. And so I really encourage people to take advantage of that. To learn more about Cops Off Campus Coalition, you can go to their website at copsoffcampuscoalition.com or follow them on Instagram or Twitter at Cops Off Earth. Go to their website to learn more about joining the coalition, signing up for Abolition May, downloading toolkits on how you can take action, and learning more about the events happening at colleges and universities across the globe. You can subscribe to the Anti-Racism Daily podcast by searching Anti-Racism Daily on all of your favorite podcast networks. To subscribe to our free daily newsletter, you can go to antiracismdaily.com and you'll receive daily tactical actions to dismantle white supremacy. The Anti-Racism Daily podcast is co-hosted and co-produced by me, Nicole Cardoza. And co-hosted and co-produced and edited by me, Mallory Chang. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again soon.